to Inside Sponsorship, the show that provides sponsorship professionals with advice, insights and news so they can maximise their commercial programmes and achieve best practice. There are a lot of people who will write blogs and rock up to conferences to talk about the future of sponsorship. And while I tip my hat to them that they have the guts to get up and present and put themselves out there, I don't know about you, but I'm not often left full of confidence and enthusiasm for a clear way forward. And that's why I was taken aback a little after a recent call. Based in London, Sven Glor is Senior Manager Global Rugby Strategy and Planning at HSBC. And our fearless leader, Mark Thompson, suggested we invite Sven on the show for a chat. Now, normally the process when we have a guest on is to draft a bunch of topics or discussion points and kick them back and forth with the guests so that we can focus on and cover off the things that will give you, the listener, the best value for your time. It was a little bit different with Sven. As I was getting ready to start at the gym over here in Australia, Mark and Sven FaceTimed me from the evening in London, reasonably late in the night, and didn't really want to know about how I was going to start some exercise. Very intrusive. And Sven basically led off with, listen, Daniel, don't worry about the key points. I've got this covered. Sponsorship is undergoing huge change and evolution and is becoming more and more important and everyone needs to get on board with it. And I want to talk about the past a little bit and I want to take stock of the now and then I want to talk about where this is all going. I'm really enthusiastic about it. And look, I know passion and enthusiasm are words that get used way too often these days, but that is exactly what struck me about Sven's attitude to coming on the podcast. And I thought to myself, okay, this could go anywhere, but I have no doubt that it will be highly entertaining. Didn't sound like I had a choice with Sven, so I said yes anyway. Welcome to episode 67 of Inside Sponsorship. I'm your host, Daniel Oyston, and it is great to have you tuning into the show wherever you are in the world and however you are connected to the sponsorship industry. You're in for a real treat with Sven when he joins us later on in the show, but now is usually the time when I give a shout out to a few people, and we love doing them because we really do enjoy hearing from you, where you work and what you're up to. But unfortunately, no shout outs this time around. So please just drop me a line because I love to give people shout outs and I can do that for you on the next episode if you just get in touch. Also on the show is Mark Thompson, Corps Head of International Business, who recently blogged about the increasing importance of business intelligence in sports and entertainment. And he joins us now to have a chat about that. Here's Mark. Mark Thompson, welcome back to the podcast. You haven't been on for a while. Yeah, it's been a month or more maybe. Nah, to be longer weeks, than that. I've had weeks. Sam and Daniel on the show doing all your work for you, they said. Yeah, well, that's actually not too far from the truth. You've been on a trip? Yeah, I've been away a few times. I've already done uh, this year. Where are we? February. We've already done Canada, US, UK. Highlights? I uh, just got back from the UK. Um, it was a good trip. We I spent a lot of time with our, obviously with the coming together, responsive and core. We've got a bigger office over there now, so spending a lot of time with the, the new staff that looking after in uh, in Europe and getting out and spending some time with our clients and explaining to them the you know, far bigger uh, product suite we've now got um, on offer for them with the merger of the two companies, um, a lot of strategy. But the best part of it was, was we actually went down to Brighton, watched uh, the FA that. Cup game, spent a bit of time in Brighton walking around and Saturday evening in Brighton is something that everybody should do if they go to the UK. Did you go to a big pier out into the yeah, into the water? We did. We managed to stop and have a beer on the pier, and, and then made our way back to the train and 
I went back up to London, but I, if I had my time again, I'd probably stay the night down there. It was what real. is it on the train? Hour and a half? It meant to be, but when there's uh, road work, train work's going on, it, t- it takes three hours. Ouch! Which is awesome. Ouch! All right. Well, you're here joining us today because we're going to chat about your latest blog, which is focused on the increasing importance of BI in sports and entertainment. Now, sponsorship reporting is nothing new. It's been around since the dawn of sponsorship itself, whenever that was uh, BC. However, as we know, and I know you've spoken about this multiple times in various podcasts and you've written about it a lot before in, in previous blogs, it has become in recent times a lot more purposeful and analytical, hasn't it? Why is that? Look, for the past, I'm going to say decade or more, Using data for reporting sponsorship has has existed. You know, there, there's some Repicom, Scom before them. They were real trailblazers in in using, you know, um, broadcast data and comparative analysis and equivalency data and things like that to to report, you know, a value of a partnership and and why it made sense for sponsorship to occur. So they kind of broke the ice in terms of using data rather than emotion to. You know, or just the fact that I'm a fan of that team and I want to, <laughs> and I've got a budget and I can take some friends, choice. Right? Like, yeah, exactly right. So, and and that was so successful that as more marketing, you know, thinkers came into the industry and accountability became stronger, both on both sides of the fence, but more so on the brands that you know there actually had to be a reason you're spending this money and governance and things like that. That the actual path forward to to proving success and to proving reasoning and to proving the right decisions were made can only be, you know, given through data. So, you know, I, I think organizations all over the world are now starting to have specialized business intelligence staff, in some cases business intelligent units that don't just sit in sponsorship, they sit across all areas of the business, but they're also, you know, becoming revenue generating areas of the business because of how rich the data is is becoming. So the emergence of business intelligence has come from the realization that the data can actually be used really well rather than the realization that we can now go and get data. The data's always been there. So the emergence is driven by technology and access? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, technology, access, understanding. Um, but, you know, if if the successes of those trailblazing companies are that, that, that sort of broke the ice a decade or so ago and continued to do so didn't actually happen. Like if they weren't as successful, then I don't think we are where we are now. So you say that that emergence has come from technology. How is that technology used? Yeah, I mean, the, t- the technology is used to, to provide like a graphical representation of the data. So it's, it's all good to know that it exists and to maybe have a number in front of you and things like that. But, but where technology now comes into to play and, you know, a core software a company that we're now involved with, you know, the, the, the visualization of data is pinnacle to the actual product itself. And, you know, being able to visualize those, those data to be able to analyze it because of the visualization and then use that to provide confidence in decision-making that's why it is actually now starting to become a real pivotal part and a, and a central part of, of all business around, you know, the industry of sport and entertainment. So why is BI so important now? Surely it's been important all the time or, or for a long time. Why is it suddenly, for want of a better phrase, starting to get its moment in the sun? Look, I think even if an organisation doesn't realise it, 
every business undertakes BI for internal reporting and decision making, you know, whether it be reporting to the board or reporting to ownership groups or p- pitching to potential sponsors or investors or you know understanding player injury risk analysis, things like that. There's always been business intelligence that re- relates to that, you know, um, data that that feeds through. But I think now that everybody is so accountable for making the right decision, people are nervous in making the wrong decision and justification of those decisions in a tight financial landscape, you know, mean that you've got to actually be able to understand why you're making that decision and then report that it was successful. And data is literally the only quantitative resource we can use to represent the truth in any conversation. Everything else is either gut feel, it's fluffy, it's emotive. If you've got data to back it up, then people can't argue with that. It's it's an actual single source of truth of, of that decision-making process. Is it important in the sponsorship space now because, and we've spoken about this for many years and it was one of the reasons Sponsor started or one of the main reasons that Sponsor started was that sponsorship departments didn't have any dedicated software to do their job properly. And as you said, um, BI has been in existence in particularly sporting organizations for a long time around player management, injuries, finance, even HR, even the technology that they're running in there with their IT departments or outsourcing the IT. Is it that it's just starting to really flow through to sponsorship now? I think it's yes, kind of like it it is, it is that it's just starting to flow through to sponsorship. But as I said earlier, it's a mixture of brands having more pressure on quantifying their decision, but then a more strategic thinking going into sponsorship on the right shoulder side. So more specialists in sponsorship, in marketing, the business intelligence units being able to aid the sales process to be able to, you know, quantify and qualify, you know, why this property is really a good opportunity for a brand. And and that then feeds through to the fulfillment side. And, you know, those that are good at you know, business intelligence can see the ROI that it produces from almost the first report they can provide because it, it, they can hammer in right at the the money shot on, you know, what they're trying to tell as the outcome of the story they've been telling through the sponsorship process. And it's almost like anything that you have to go and communicate to somebody. If you've got confidence in how you've pulled it together, you understand it, then you can walk into an uh, a conversation with full confidence and, and deliver that and communicate that well to the person. Whereas as you said before, if you're not using data, it's all gut feel, fluff, emotion. That, exactly right. And, you know, data helps you get, as I say in my, in my uh, blog, deep and dirty with the conversation real quick. And I mean, it actually can help you predict the future. Oh, we were having a conversation in, in the UK with one of our Premier League clients and the way they're selling and delivering their digital assets to partners now are not based on you get four, you know, Facebook campaigns. It's based on you get X number of impressions. So we're going to sell you this much access to our vast and rich audience. And does the post, the number of posts become a byproduct of what you need to do to get to the impressions? So it could be three, it could be a hundred. Well, with BI, you can actually identify based on history. And this is why it's only going to get better over time that we know that in you know, uh, April, that's when Premier League's at its peak because it's coming into the decision time of the season of who's going to win. And this client we were talking about is, is always up there and amongst it. And, 
you know, so they know that their reach is bigger in certain times of the year. So everybody's looking for a, a little glimmer of hope that it might be their team that's going to win six out of the last nine or seven out of the last nine. <laughs> but, drives me mad. But also with, with that sort of the data that comes through, you know when your engagement is higher from a numbers but also from an engagement and what type of content produces the type of engagement that you need to provide those those impressions, right? So you don't know that like really know that, you know it kind of by gut or by awareness. But if you've got some sort of analytics and, you know, there's a there's a product that we're pushing out at Core, which is, is a, it's called DWA, but it from a sponsor perspective, you can link it to an execution. It can report to you the exact, you know, how many seconds people watched a video for under what channel and was it on an owned or a shared sort of platform. And you can report that back to your partner. If you can provide that, link it back to what we've always been talking about is aligning benefits to objectives. So setting an expectation up front with your partner and then showing how you track against that expectation and then visually representing it through a, a BI dashboard or something like that. That becomes so much more important than like a, a fluffy number of a, of a dollar value you got off that partnership. It's a, we know exactly who, how, when, and why we engage with our audience and it all, all goes back to what we've been talking about since day one of this podcast is sponsorship helps you engage with an audience that you otherwise would struggle to engage with. And now we can prove through business intelligence that that is true, but also when and why and how it was true. It's very exciting. Yeah. What's the future hold? Look, I think, you know, businesses such as Repicom that we said pave the way. You know, it's a combination of the evolution of technology, technology companies, the employment of people that can understand the information is probably the most important. So, you know, the future is going to involve, you know, a, a, a bit of a ex expansion of the types of degrees offered around data, which we've already started to see. But I actually think the success of the future will come both inside and outside of the competitive arena by being able to use data to predict the future. And so to make better decisions, we will see less people going broke. We'll see more people kind of finding success. And hopefully the data helps people protect themselves from themselves. Well, uh, Mark, Marty McFly, back to the future. <laughs> Thompson, he's going to predict the future for us with his uh, data and business intelligence. But you're right, I'll make a joke, but it is... It is exciting, but it's also going to become more and more mission critical for you guys on the front line. So if you want to read through Mark's comments in slow time, just head along to the blog at sponsor.net where you can access all of that. Tomo, next trip? 29th of March, I jet out to um, Europe for a week, different multiple spots, New York and Denver. So right around yeah. the big circle or sphere. So if you want to catch up with... Mark, for, for a chat, a beer, uh, some toast at breakfast, just get in contact. I'm sure he can accommodate you. Thanks for joining us. Cheers, mate. Sven Glory is Senior Manager, Global Rugby Strategy and Planning at HSBC, based in London. I know passion and enthusiasm are words that get used way too often, just get bandied about these days. But that is exactly what struck me about Sven the first time I spoke to him on the phone. He is someone who clearly spends a lot of time thinking about the industry and couples that with bucket loads of energy. As I said earlier, his attitude to coming on the show and taking charge of what we were going to cover made me think, okay, this could go anywhere, but I have no doubts it will be highly entertaining and valuable for the listeners. And that's exactly what you're about to get.
Here's Sven. Sven, welcome to the show. You are the Senior Manager Global Rugby Strategy and Planning at HSBC. Did you play rugby yourself? And if so, what position? But if maybe if you didn't play rugby growing up, what position do you think you'd be best suited to if you had to pull on a jersey tomorrow? Yeah, hi. Uh, thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's great to be on the show and I've, I've really been looking forward to it. Yeah, to answer your question, I, I did play rugby in my, my younger years. I was a uh, deceptively slow and um, far too skinny number six. And unfortunately for me, it was a case of having a probably uh, ambition and ability uh, mixed up pretty early. So, you know, my, my coach's parents and I realised that uh, an early age that you know, I probably wasn't going to make the wallabies. So I decided to, to focus my attention at a young age to, to rowing, to water rowing, and thought, you know, the Olympics, that sounds like a, an attractive sporting proposition. So, you know, ideally, the, the time wasn't forcing were huge names and they were newfound heroes. So uh, I thought it would be nice to be their latest recruit. And, uh, yeah, it's sad to say that those hopes and dreams were, were also shattered quite early, along with my wallaby aspirations. So, as if, yeah, zero to no chance of even uh, not happening. So I decided to focus on becoming, you know, I guess, the best fan I could be and enjoying sport from the sidelines. And I think that's where I much better belong. And, you know, I think I've done some of my best work as an unwavering quality supporter at various World Cup tours and, you know, as well as supporting the green and gold at various sporting events. You know, here in Australia and, and, and around the world is, you know, also. And in terms of transitioning, so that, well, I certainly appreciate playing rugby at a high level. It's never going to be a, you know, viable career path to me from an early age. I, I generally love the game and I love sport in general. And, you know, I was adamant from my early high school years onwards that, uh, well, I couldn't obviously work in the game as such as, you know, I wasn't going to be a player or a coach. But, you know, I certainly, certainly wanted to work on it. And that began, you know, I guess my new focus to make sport and within sports specifically for the sponsorship, might be chosen career path. And you now I am today, and I've really, you know, really enjoyed my role and, and everything that's uh, it's wanted me to do. And you know, the place I've, I've, I've got to visit is part of that, and you know, some of the most, uh, the most amazing uh, experiences you get access to along the way. And you know, most important for me, and I, I might sound a little cheeky, but it, it's you know, it's the people that you meet within our industry that I personally think, and look, it's a very biased opinion, but that makes it one of the most amazing industries to, to, to possibly work in. And I guess, yeah, second part of your, your question around if I had to pull on my jersey today, well, look, you know, there's head and heart in my head. I'd like to think I could pull on the six and, you know, run on for a solid 80 minutes. And, uh, you know, but the reality is in my heart, I'd probably, uh, probably end up pulling my calf muscle or something and, you know, be taken up the before I even had a chance to, you know, to, to see the kickoffs. But, yeah, look, I think I'm much better placed uh, in the stands than I, uh, I am on the, on the pitch. I'm going to pencil you in for uh, for running the water. Now, Sven, you, you obviously love the game. HSBC are heavily involved with the Rugby Sevens, and it has really grown from what you'd probably call an off-season activity into a, a full-blown standalone product that has worldwide appeal. For you, what's been your most memorable experience working in and around Rugby Sevens? Yeah, look, um, it's a great question. I've, I've probably got a, you know, a number of memories that have come from the game. And for me, you know, I'll start with the beginning. So my, my first four and sevens was actually, as a, as a fan, I went over to, to the Wellington Sevens, which was huge back in the day over New Zealand. And you know, I'd heard a lot about uh, Sevens rugby over the years. And you know, it was predominantly always about the Hong Kong Sevens, which was sort of painted as this almost mystical utopia for rugby fans <laughs> that seemed to be on uh, on everyone's, everyone's sporting bucket list as a absolute once-in-a-lifetime must-do event. And, you know, in, in, in taps, I can add, you know, I can confirm it, it probably should be too. But, uh, you know, when I when I taken sevens for the first time in my first tournament, and when I said taste, it literally is, it was, I think it was through the, 
through the uh, through a can of warm spates and standing in the stands dressed as a uh, as a Hulk Hogan lookalike, and but no one actually sits in the stands over there for two days. You're, you're dancing in your seats, and you know you're surrounded by every possible conceivable fancy dress that you could ever imagine. And you know, and then there's on top of that, you know, the action sort of off the field. You look on the field, and it's absolutely electric. There's you know the skills on display are just simply awesome. And you know, I remember having a moment. You know, I thought to myself, you know, this sport is is so unique. There's Literally something for everyone. It's so easy to uh, to digest and understand if you if you fall into rugby. And you know this thing is built for the future. And I had sort of this, this T20 moment for, for rugby, and I thought this thing is an absolute game changer. And you know it's it's just so different to what you see in traditional 15s in terms of the whole experience. So look, I, I was hooked immediately, and, and you know I could see so much potential and an opportunity again both on off the field. And you know I really believe it's something you have to experience yourself firsthand, and, and not on TV and these days online, but, you know, you really have to, to be, you know, in the stands and comprehend the, the incredible atmosphere of a seventh tournament and, and then there's the skills on display, which is just absolutely next level. So, look, I'm going to, to now almost 10 years later and very much, you know, uh, working uh, on and in the game. I've watched the, the game grow, you know, pretty much exponentially year on year and, you know, without wanting to sound too cool, but it's attracting new and younger audiences globally, you know, both men and more importantly on, on the women's side as well. And, you know, we've watched the the you know the highly successful Olympics debut that made in, in Rio 2016. Yeah, and it's moved very much from a standalone entity to you know becoming uh, its own sort of career path. Right now, you know, there's Olympic medals on offer, and you know, I, I kind of feel like it's one of the greatest drivers of of growing the you know, the broader game across 15 sevens, you know, globally. So, yeah, I, it's it's got a role to play. It's a much easier formula to the game to digest. And also to coach, I believe. So I, I feel it's the ultimate door opener for rugby and it will help the game grow across the board. So, you know, for me, if, if you look at it holistically, the, the governing body at the moment is, is called World Rugby and, and, you know, I'm absolutely fine with that as it should be. But to be fair, it's still it's still very much international rugby, isn't it? So it's you know, dominated by a small, small number of uh, rugby powerhouse nations. Mm. There's one in particular across the ditch that prefers black to the colour, we won't mention again, but... You know, I think um, truly global at the time that seven has a has a lot of role to play, and will help open up new rugby market for, for the likes of all rugby. You know, those markets have struggled to be, and that's you know the the you know the China's as well, the South American time. There's it's an absolute door opener, and I think that's critical. But just to back to your, to your question, so in terms of what are my what are my most memorable moments? Well, in seven, there's there's probably two or three that stand, but there's, there's Ben Ryan and, and Fiji winning the you know the, the country's first ever Olympic medal of, of any colour in, in Rio, which I think was absolutely fantastic. There was the World Cup last year in uh, in Giant Stadium in San Francisco, which is an amazing setup on the bay there overlooking uh, the Bay of San Francisco. And, you know that for me was absolutely incredible because we're we're looking at you know a major step towards cracking the US sports market at rugby, and, and that thing was just superb for over three days in men's and women's, and the stands were full from uh, sun up to sundown and, and the American market absolutely took to it like ducks to water. So there's that. But then there's also, for me, um, a little bit further up the road has been the, the introduction and now the blossoming of the HSBC Canada 7s event in Vancouver, which, you know, given it's played in a closed roof stadium, at one stage, the, you know, the stadium roof never blew off due to the, the noise and atmosphere over those two days where the Canadian locals came to town and... and Probably weren't that okay with rugby, but you know, my God, they they took to it quickly and absolutely embraced it and loved it, and you know, and that's probably a, a worthwhile example to, to take you to in terms of 
you know, I keep talking about the growth of seven, Ethan John, very passionate and truly believe in it. But you know, going back a few years, so, uh, you know, we as, as a company, so HSBC, we realigned our global sponsorship strategy for more of a, a federated local model where effectively, you know, the, the, the local domestic markets could sponsor you know, any property they liked to be fair. So there wasn't any sort of consistency or alignment from one market to the next and became quite fragmented across the globe. And so we then moved that towards a centralised global approach and it became known as our global flagship event strategy and sort of narrowed it down across to three sporting pillars, which is golf, tennis and rugby. And if you look around the world at that time, we had in South America, you know, they were sponsoring football stadiums, you know, often hosted UFC events and the like, which wasn't really on point for HSBC's brand narrative. And then you had in Canada, the locals up there were sponsoring, you know, what is almost religion, which is ice hockey and, and baseball and you know, back in Oz, we sponsored the, the AFL team, the Hawks, and in, in Super Rugby, we had the Waratahs. And, you know, in, in France, there's all that arts and culture and so on. And, and then we had, over in Russia, actually, of all, of all, of all sporting properties, or not in sporting properties, but event properties, we had national tango championships, which were HSBC Russia sponsored for 10 years. So you sort of get the picture where, you know, we looked very, uh, very different across each market and, and we look and sound different. There's no consistency of approach. So... Once we'd aligned to this new global events uh, flagship strategy, and you know we had to take that to, to each market, and and you know we had to back out of a lot of deals and exit a lot of the, the local partnerships, and much the much to the chagrin of the, the locals. But you know Canada, we it was, it was quite topical because we, we were moving, you know, what was almost a religious following, and and very you know very much long-standing partnerships with uh, in Vancouver, which was on the ice hockey team, the Canucks, and and in Toronto, the Blue Jays, and then in return, we said, we're going to take them away, but you know, in return, we're going to give you a, um, a rugby partnership. And you know, it's actually, it's not even rugby, it's actually rugby sevens, you know, which will be held in winter indoors, and that's your new primary property. And, you know, the first question was, well, what, A, how can you be, what, what's rugby, let alone what's sevens rugby? And, you know, so in some of sort of leap, leap of faith moments, well, you know, you're going to have to, you know, just come and see this thing. You have to see it to believe it and, and sample it and then we'll assess post-tournament your thoughts on it because I had that much faith in the strength of what the what seven song can do. And so, look, it was, it was one of those, you know, defining moments where they, they clocked it early. The Canadians showed up, you know, two or three hours before gates even opened, which is very foreign for a seven tournament. Normally people show up around lunchtime. They, they were there sort of seven in the morning queuing out the, wow. out, out the gates. And then they, um, we've got, you know, they made noise for two days straight. They didn't leave their seats and they you know, the tournament was absolutely brilliant and it's now one of the most successful and popular on the World Series. And the Canadian business, you know, speaking of religion, is now completely converted to, to being avid, avid Sevens disciples and they absolutely love it. And, and that's the power of Sevens and why I truly believe in that and love the product. So I might actually combine my my next two questions. I probably should have been a little bit smarter and moved the first part of the question up to the start of the podcast because as I said earlier, you're the senior manager, global rugby and strategy and planning at HSBC. So I'm curious about how long you've been in that role and, and what it encompasses, but I could probably combine it with the next question, which is if you could outline HSBC's history with rugby globally and also what the current level of involvement is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so look, I joined uh, I joined the bank in uh, it was 2011 and was coming across an agency side where I'd worked in uh, across sponsorship sales. I've done some talent management and, and activation work for the past sort of eight, eight or nine years. So in terms of the current role, so it's very much relationship driven, so internal and external. So you know, I need to have an understanding of of, of the brand and the business needs of, of our various business lines around the world, and then 
I mean, ultimately, our, our, our game really is about helping them build deep relationships with you know, their key customers and clients. And, and I think NatSponsor have served that well. And if it's done well, it can do, uh, deliver excellent brand commercial terms for the business. So that's sort of, sort of my existence. And you know, ultimately, I, I like to use this phrase around helping them attain and then retain their, their business. And, and seven for me is a strong, a strong role in playing that. You know, the, the event itself we've just talked about. It's a relaxed setting. We help them meet other customers. You know, they can help them with their own business needs and so on. So it's this ultimate sort of networking event. And and for us, you know, seven, particularly given we're a bank and a large corporate global bank, it's, you know, it helps us show a little bit of personality and, and it helps us loosen our our corporate tie. And and I think that's that's critical to, to what I do to help us show a little bit of personality and so on. In terms of, of HSBC and rugby, so it, it, look, it just goes back to day one in terms of the bank. So we, our very first involvement with the game was actually back with the Welton Rugby Club in Hong Kong. That was back in uh, it was 1874. And even our London-based uh, rugby club here was founded over 140 years ago now and still going strong today. So we've had a you know, a long a long and rich history with, with rugby since the bank's inception. And in terms of partnerships now, sort of, I guess bringing forward to today, so we partnered with the British Night Lions in their 2009 tour of South Africa, which was just incredible. And then again, off the back of the success of that tour, we, we focused on their tour of Australia in 2013. And um, look, that, that didn't go our way in terms of being a, a Wallaby fan, but, but what an absolute amazing uh, rugby spectacle that was. And then we, in 2010-11, we partnered with World Rugby on the Seven Series, the first four into the World of Sevens. And... And then after that, four years later, in 2015, we uh, included the naming rights title. So we re-signed and included the naming rights partnership status for the Women's Series, which is fantastic. And that's, you know, that's helped grow the women's game enormously. And it's now pleased to report one of the fastest growing sports in, in the world. So there's some, other, there's some other strong partnership elements as well. We've, we've partnered with the, uh, with the Wallabies, so we're official banking partner of the Wallabies since 2014, which ironically, I guess, I've never ended up Paying for them, but I now end up paying for them. So I'm sort of close, but not really. And yeah, most recently, I, I guess for me, I want to, you know, talking about highlights, but uh, last year in San Fran, that, that amazing tournament over there um, on the Bay Giant Stadium, we announced another four year partnership with, with Royal Rugby across both the men's and women's series to take us up to 2023. And, and that will now move us into, you know, over a decade of partnership with, with Rugby Seven, which I guess, you know, shows the belief and the value we have in the property. and as part of that announcement, we also negotiated to become the official banking partner of World Rugby, which is another you know, significant step for us. So, yeah, a, a long, you know, a lot of history, a lot of legacy. We firmly believe in that. And I guess when we had to put the business case forward to resign, uh, it was with a resounding yes. Let's move forward from the business, which, which speaks volumes of, of what it's doing. So, yeah, uh, all in all, a really, uh, really positive story. Clearly, a long history with rugby strikes me as almost maybe even a love affair between HSBC and rugby. There's lots of other sports that, and properties, not just sporting properties, that may be able to offer uh, you access to those marketing objectives that HSBC want to achieve. What What's the attraction to rugby, though? Yeah, look, it's an issue. We're probably guilty of, in our, in our formative years, our early years, of being your your atypical corporate sponsor, I put sponsor and sort of inverted commas, um, and we've made a very conscientious effort to speak towards being more of a collaborative, and I guess set up a healthy working relationship with World Rugby, and that's, that's been sort of born out of, uh, I guess, getting to know each other over a number of years and, and us understanding what they're trying to achieve and then being very much aware of what we're trying to achieve. So, look, we, 
you know, without sounding too corporate, we would like to invest in activities as a bank that ultimately our customers are passionate about, and, and rugby is one of those, and hence the, the goodness that it's generated for us over a long period of time. So rugby has been very much fit for purpose for a global corporate size of HSBC. That we're, we're constantly looking to attract new audiences and a certain demographic. It's, it's fine to be sort of focusing on existing customers, and that plays a large part of what we do, but we are constantly opening up new markets and, and we're using, and rugby in this part, particularly seven, to help do that to attract new audiences to generate more uh, more business for the bank. So to me, while, while rugby has a strong you know, strong role to play in that exercise, but to me, sevens is, is it's, it's probably you know more powerful in the fact that it transcends into traditional non-rugby markets um, that we're looking to open up as a bank and, and helps tap these new audiences and you know, help, we, use, we use rugby in sevens to help build relationships with them. So, yeah, that's, I guess that's sort of the, the mandate, and I think it's, it's served as well to this, to this date. So you and I caught up quickly on FaceTime last week to talk about what we might cover on this episode, and straight off the bat you said, don't worry, I've got this covered, I know what I'm going to talk about. And when you went on to outline what you wanted to cover off, that was A, what sponsorship has been about in the past, then B, take stock of kind of where we are now and see where you think it is all heading because you're quite excited about this. And I must say I was struck by your enthusiasm and excitement for the future of sponsorship, but also that there was a real sense of, look, we've got to kind of figure this out quickly if we want to do well and take advantage of the opportunity. So let's start with a bit of a recap. What are your views on where sponsorship has come from? And it would be great if you could identify in that what you thought was great about the past and, and maybe that we shouldn't throw out in terms of things that we just change because it used to be old. Yeah, look, I, I guess you could say I'm a true sponsorship uh, proponent. So I, I, yeah, I'm absolutely enthusiastic about where we're at today. But in saying that, that's only you know, with the benefit of, I guess, you know, hindsight of, of seeing where we've come from. And, and, you know, what I'm more excited about is where I think we're about to go. And that, that's sort of the thing that, uh, yeah, excites me the most. But, you know, I've always believed in the power of sponsorship, you know, even more so now today, because we're, we're about to move into this, this chapter where we're going to see far better engineered and, and I guess, more meaningful brand partnerships going forward as opposed to sponsorship. I'm happy to still call it sponsorship, but I, I do strongly feel that as an industry, we should move towards this idea of this, you know, partnerships with brands or integrated brand partnerships, whatever you want to call it, but I think move away from just pure sponsorship because I think that is a little one, one dimensional. But yeah, I, I generally feel as an industry, we're on the cusp of, of massive upheaval and change. And well, I guess that one is sound too deep or textbook like in the matter, but, you know, export is one example of a medium within sponsorship is, is one of the world's greatest connectors. And, it, you know, it, it absolutely breeds and it fosters the things we talked about earlier, tribalism and fan passion is, and rivalries, you, know, you can follow individual sporting talents, you know, the journeys, the highs, the lows, event successes and so on. And but also, again, without wanting to say too, it can bring people together in times where you know, things in the wider world may not always be so rosy. So, you know, I won't talk about it again, but with the likes of Brexit and Trump and so on. So, you know, for me, it's the ultimate level and it's driven by one, almost like this idea of this unifying connector, which is it's, it, it's charged by the power of human emotion and it always has and always will. So, I guess where I'm going with that is, um, you know, brands have forever sponsored the likes of entertainment platforms, whether it's uh, sport, arts, talks and so on. But, you know, if it's done well and it's authentic and credible, then, you know, I genuinely believe that it's one of the, one of the strongest platforms. And that's irrespective of whether that's, you know, business or brand-led. 
in connecting with audiences, and and that could be a little bit more importantly for today. I think it's about connecting with new audiences. So, you know, I, I, this is hopefully this isn't controversial and upsets the advertising or broader marketing <laughs> world, but I, I generally believe it can run further and deeper than traditional marketing does for a brand. And, and yeah, look, that's extremely biased and it's self-serving, but it's what I generally believe. And you know, to your question, to where we've come from, you know, through to today, the, the reason my enthusiasm is. We as an industry, I, I feel we've punched above our weight for, for so many years now. And, you know, we've we've also done it by being what I think is generally hamstrung by, you know, a lack of or, or, or more so probably simply archaic systems and processes around, you know, it's the obvious one, the value measurement, tangible, you know, lack of a better term, ROI, that analogy, ROI, this, ROI, that. You know, we've constantly been trying to crack that nut, and I don't think we have. And I, I sort of feel like we've, we've, we've succeeded you know, far and above and beyond we ever thought as an industry, but without the the ability to truly justify ourselves and our existence. And and that's probably in the eyes of a lot of marketing business heads. And so, you know, I'm, I'm sure you agree, but I hear this almost every day. I, I meet someone, they ask, what do I do in terms of my role and career? And so I tell them. And without fail, the first and foremost question I get every time is, well, you know, how do you justify the value of, of the sponsorship? So how do you measure whether it's working or not? And you hear that time and time again. And, you know, to this point, I, I sort of feel like despite that, sponsorship has generally flourished and has been the absolute investment of the cornerstone of a number of entertainment platforms since the dawn of time, but based largely on, on subjectivity and also probably near enough measures. We're probably guilty of using, you know, clunky systems and models that I generally feel have been largely self-serving and self-fulfilling in many cases. And yet despite all that, we've managed to still largely occupy you know, the hearts and minds of a lot of businesses and, and marketing heads for generations, despite of the above. So, for me, yeah, sponsorship went down well. There's potential to stick like no other marketing medium can. And look, again, that may upset a lot of people, but that's, that's what I genuinely believe. And well, I'm really not splitting the sponsorship atom here by any means, but the facts are businesses need to grow consistently and they need to, to grow new customers. And I talked about this earlier, that rather than going back to existing audiences, and so... For me, I mean, what better way to do this to connect with them through their passion points and sport is, is an example of that. But we've managed to somehow do that in spite of ourselves, and today we've, we've done that without due diligence or due diligence to our industry. And I still feel like we've somewhat in spite of ourselves. And sport history alone is worth over $700 billion a year. And, you know, sponsorship plays an, uh, an extremely large part of that. And that's despite the, you know, the fractious and often clunky approach that our industry has taken in, in getting to this point. So, you know, in, in some way, it's too long that we've probably, you know, keep going back to this, that we've succeeded probably despite ourselves. And that's because I feel the proposition, the basic premise of sponsorship is so strong in, in its basic foundations. And, you know, in, and to be fair, until today is largely worked, but it's been this relatively to a circle where both, you know, the property and the brand have felt that they've benefited. And that's been through a simple transaction-led approach for me, which is, I kind of think in some ways, this, this idea of just cash for a, a predetermined set of rights. And that's probably not where we, we need to be going forward. And, you know, if you look at it, we've also, you know, this isn't new news either, but I think to date we've been guilty of sort of the classic, you know, nearly pioneer and frontier based sponsorship, which has been led by the classic chairman's choice or the captain's call for you, what do you call it? And ultimately the good old finger in the air led subjectivity and, and we haven't really had a sponsorship science as such, and I think that's because that hasn't existed until now. And, you know, again, I don't want to sound cheesy and happy to put this out there, but I, I believe there's this 
there's this idea of the sponsorship sort of, I won't say revolution, but evolution is coming over the next decade. And, you know, I think we're going to be under so much, you know, rapid and, and almost sort of this aggressive change off the back of technology. And I, I kind of feel it would be operating at 60% of optimal capacity as an industry. And I think that, that is really going to change and we're going to, we're going to see that evolve rapidly. And, you know, this one-dimensional approach that we've always had where cash was king, service delivery was pretty much an obligation, and you've had sports talent was considered very much as a commodity. You know, and then you have annual the rights holders were really talking outside of their annual you know, yearly review to compare notes. In the day that gone by, probably the ultimate outcome was the rights holder was saying, well, you know, is the sponsor going to retire? And if so, how much can, can we get them for? And then you know, the next question then, will they invest more? And that's usually calculated on a plus CPI basis model plus some. And then across the table, you had sitting the sponsor was thinking, well, you know, what can you give me to justify the, you know, the yeah. exercise and help me sell the sponsor back into the business to justify that that further investment? And you know, that's 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 not a, a virtual circle at all. That's quite an ambitious one because sometimes that's set to fail. And the reason it's set to fail for mine is that unless it's a tangible proof that the sponsor is truly meeting the business and brand objectives, then you know, we we haven't had tools to. To today, they can demonstrate that. I'm not robust ones anyway. So, look, I think that's probably the area of concern for me, but also the area of opportunity. And, and that's where I think we've, we've come to today. We're at this juncture in the road that I think things are going to things are going to change and change dramatically, but very much for the better. I think it's an interesting point that sponsorship professionals, particularly not just the industry, but professionals on both sides of the fence, have have done well almost despite the situation and I'd chalk that down to just their tenacity and and we often say that sponsorship professionals are some of the hardest working people in organizations because as you rightly point out they haven't had the tools and the processes uh, necessary in place to operate how other parts of the business may perform at a a more optimum level and as you said you used a great word there that, that, that we've often been hamstrung so what about the present in terms of how you see the industry right now because it feels like there is a lot of people talking about how we should do better and we should do things a certain way etc but the evidence of people professionals really embracing that and forging ahead and being truly innovative and trailblazing a path to best practice so to speak is quite scarce and i think i'm particularly interested in some of the things people are, are still doing you think or you see people still doing which which might be rooted in the past but maybe not just the simple headlines that so many of us in the industry throw out there like we have to stop sending cold proposals and we need to tailor and not offer generic packages or we have to treat sponsorships like relationships etc i'd be interested in some more some more deeper insights from you yeah yeah i agree but i think yeah i mean that brings us very much to today so and I'll talk about what we're about to, to face, and I think that's this information overload here, and it's only going to explode even more, you know, more so going forward. And you know, if you look at that, you know, probably thanks to our friends at uh, you know the likes of the, the Apples and the Googles as well. But we're all we're all now subject matter experts in the click of a button, and we're all sort of experts, you know, statisticians or sporting commentators. You know, thanks to a hand a lot of boxes, and we, we not only just watch sport and so on, we we analyse a really more information now at our fingertips and ever before. So, you know, I, I think there is this, this, I talked about earlier, there is this evolution or revolution, whatever you want to call it, on the horizon. And, you know, we have a, a truly intricate understanding now and a relationship with our 
our sporting brands, teams and players due to technology. And technology is kind of the theme of, of my future, future-looking approach, which is, you know, the, thanks to the, the Facebooks, the Instagrams and Twitters and so on, you get to go behind the curtain and get to now sort of truly peek into the lives, both on off the field of our sporting, our sporting heroes or teams or clubs that may be in. Nothing's off limits anymore, and that's you know sometimes that's not always a good thing either. If you look at what you've seen in the NRL offseason, but, but it is what it is. And so for me, I, I think there's this, there's this idea that that technology is going to drive the future of our industry, and we need to ride that way because we're going to get left behind. They were looking at it at the moment, we're a mile off what they do in, in the traditional advertising world. From an evaluation point of view, we're a mile off what they do in, in traditional marketing, comms, and evaluation. We, we're sort of predisposed to this idea of making evaluation work to our to our favour, whether that be wanting to exit or whether it be wanting to, to justify a business case and spending more. So I guess where my head is at is we've got this, this opportunity now to, to use technology to smarten up our industry and, and almost play, not just catch-up, but, but almost future-proof ourselves to, to help put our industry at the forefront of marketing comms going forward. And... I keep talking, and I talked about this earlier, this idea of sponsorship moving towards this idea of, you know, being integrated brand partnerships or whatever you want to call it. And that's now on the horizon starting to become more visible than ever before or else we are going to get left behind. And I do think that we don't, you know, create more robust evaluation tools and use the strength of, of MI to our advantage that we will lose the great arms race within marketing and that's something we should be quite quite worried about but also about as well i think that's an interesting point about the the arms race with marketing you spoke about the information overload the explosion of data and that's driven because of technology and it's helping fuel as you've said a number of times in evolution how does it play out what do you think it's going to look like sort of day-to-day, week-to-week at the coalface for sponsorship professionals. And you spoke there about being potentially scared of an arms race with marketing if we if sponsorship loses out. But does that excite you? Does it more scare you? Are there other things that excite you or scare you about what we're, what we're seeing and, and where we might be going? Yeah, look, I'm, I'm ever the, uh, the sponsorship optimist. So, you know, while it's scary, I, I think it's also incredibly thinking. And this is... You know, I, I heard this at a, uh, a marketing conference the other day around technology that you know this is actually this is actually the slowest that we'll ever see technology move going forward from today. I mean that that just blows my mind. If you think about the rapid development of, of where we've where we've been we've come to within the last ten years, well that's actually the slowest we'll ever see technology move. So that that you know you can look at that and be, be fearful of that. But you could also be very much enthused by it, which I think we industry should be. And and sport is also been the forefront of of technology and advance and you look at you know what happens on the courts and the fields around the world. So that might be hawk or you know, GPS tracking or virtual science, whatever it may be, but it's always been a, a sort of this advancement tool uh, for technology. And I think that's exciting. But you know for me, without sense of too holistic, you look at society and there's there's two determining factors that I think will play to the to the strength. And you know, this is where I'm glass half full for sponsorship. And and that's this, this general societal noise, the day-to-day information, one called overload or clutter, is always on, and literally on in terms of the mobile devices. But you know, it's making it so much harder for brands to cut through this this constant white noise. And and so, if you're how do you remain relevant when the feeling is so much on the people's lives, and that's both physically and, and also very much now from a visual point of view. 
And, and the second one to me is brands and businesses, and this is rock clothes included. But, you know, they, they must evolve and they're going to have to adapt and future-proof themselves. But the these times, there's so much noise going on. And, you know, life across the board has been shaped to, to sort of meet the needs of next-gen. And that's something we talk a lot about within HSBC, this next-gen and how do we how do we not just, you know, sort of stop them, but how do we, how do we capture them? You know, these are busy lives and, you know, trying to engage them is difficult. And so, you know, if you look at just Twitter alone, well, what, what's the thumbs, thumbs, as we call it, third brain? And, and once there, if you do stop them, well, then how do you move them from sort of capture to ultimate conversion? So I guess where I'm going is I'm an optimist. So I don't know whether the sponsorship is a strong wall to plague. We have a natural advantage, and this is what I'm enthusiastic about and what I get quite passionate about is that, you know, we play to people's passion points, and that will always be fact. And often that's true. Now, I know obviously sport is a medium, but that's also arts and entertainment and, and lifestyle and, and plenty of other subject matter. But, you know, a well-engineered and holistic sort of brand integration partnership, and that's quite a chemical sort of, that's, I think, we need to go. If you're both the rights holder and the brand of the business, if they're both aligned and they're clearly aware of, I guess, cognizant of, of each other's respective brand and business uh, objectives, then, you know, combined, you can help cut through the noise and the clutter and you're hitting people at their point of absolute interest, their hobby or, or ideally that point of passion. And, and that often that's, again, using sport as a, as a vehicle, but it's their, their teams, their clubs, their sporting heroes and so on. And that's why I think we have to advantage. And, you know, I'm seeing this firsthand within the bank where, you know, we've, we're faced with a number of challenges across the board and we ourselves are trying to future-proof the bank and how do we cut through this general marketing noise to, to capture the next gen you know, what's, what's amazing for me is that the, the door's now open. We're always being knocked on regularly by the business. But now, you know, well, how do we solve the specific business problem we have? This is our problem. You know, sponsorship, how can you help solve it? And, and that's how we, you know, that's how sponsorships were born off the back of British Cycling and the latest one is the, the Badminton World Federation. We, they were response to uh, specific business questions, which is we are having trouble cutting through to the next audience that we need to target, which is this next gen. How can you help us do that? And so, you know, I, I think that's 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 proof, you know, a proof point right that we have a significant role to play, and and that that knocking is going to be you know heard a whole lot more going forward because we we have a significant solution to to the problem. And you know, some other things that I see, you know, like looking just down the road a little bit, but on cross breaking, I spoke about it earlier around rights holders and, and brands, and this is very much coming from from where I sit, I guess, the brand side, but is you know, traditionally, rights holder needs needs cash to fund sort of you know their team, existent event, whatever it may be. You know, brand needs something to get their their brand and business objectives away. And so, you know, there's just one dimensional transactional sort of exchange. Well, I think that's going to change. I think now we're already seeing it that you know we're now formally briefing our our, our rights holders and saying, well, this is what we need, this is what we want from a business and marketing perspective. And on the flip side, you're flipping the script, the rights holders are also coming back and they're briefing specific brands, saying, well, this is what we need from business and marketing point of view. And then you come out with this, this sort of mutually beneficial fit. And, you know, it's, I know it's an analogy, it's sort of no longer it's a speed dating, but it's, it's kind of matchmaking. And again, I think that's an absolute positive for the industry that we're getting there, that we're moving away from this transactional, one-dimensional approach to now true, true brand partnerships, which is fantastic. And... You know, just to summarise, I think, lastly for me, this, this, I keep talking about this, but this wider you know, technological sort of evolution or revolution around the game, it's, it's ultimately going to mean you know, better systems and processes are going to be developed. And we're already, we're already on the verge of that in terms of serving the industry. And that's on both sides of things. 
you know, I think the, the traditional evaluation models that we've used to get us to today, and again, I've talked about with the punch of our weight, thanks to us, you know, we're going to have more data than ever before, and we're going to you know, be empowered by greater access to, to what I think is unmatched levels that we've never seen before in terms of access to fans, players, audiences, and so on. And all of that can be fed into stronger, you know, measurement evaluation processes, which will further justify our, our existence. And look, you know, on the flip side, you talked about what scares me. Well, I kind of, well, I'm never the optimist, but I also feel that we could miss the boat. If we refuse to sort of adapt and embrace this change, then, well, then, you know, if we don't, I guess we, we need to ultimately embrace it rather than fight it because we need to react to this as a collective within the industry because if we don't, then, then that's where we become quite fearful that we're still using dated and, and, and you know, there's more holes in a lot of these evaluation models and Swiss cheese in terms of the, you know, going back and proving our work to, to both the businesses and marketing heads, they just won't accept it going forward. And, and they're looking for sponsorship to play a role in their future, you know, their future business objectives and growth. So I, I kind of think there's a sweet spot there and we just need to capitalise on it. And, you know, I guess in closing, we're, we're on the cusp of, you know, harnessing the power of this digital evolution phase to, to finally put, I talk about a lot of this at work, but, you know, putting the science into sponsorship and, you know, I think we're finally, if it all, it all comes together, we're finally going to be able to answer that age-old question that we all get faced with for the day, which is, you know, well, how do you measure the return on sponsorship? Well, then we can turn around and say, well, this is it, and this is how we do it and why we do it, and there's absolute proof points there. So, you know, it, ultimately, I'm, I'm, I'm a, as the optimist. I think we're in, a, we're, in a, we're in a great space. We've done well to get to where we had, but we're just about to, uh, to turn a, a pretty large corner and be a better place than we ever had before. I think it's some really insightful comments there, and and I, I deeply, really hope that the listeners were, were were paying close attention to that because we speak about this stuff all the time on the podcast or or face to face with people or or in the blogs, and that comment that you made about other business areas coming to you and saying, how do we fix this problem, Sven? How can we use sponsorship to help fix this problem? We believe that is sits at the heart of the conversation that rights holders should be having initially with businesses and not going in there being attached to an outcome and making an assumption with packages and proposals that they can just help a business without deeply understanding what their problems are. And yes, people talk about this stuff all of the time, but the key there is that that is an internal conversation that is already happening within the organization. And so it is probably on people's agendas. And if you go to a brand and say to them, what sorts of things are you struggling with? You might be surprised what they share with you, just like what Sven shared with us there. Now, Sven, I wanted to ask you, it strikes me, you you spoke about brands integrating more and it not be transactional. It strikes me that those that don't go down that path and really work hard to have proper brand integration with it, with a property, that those who are just set up purely, hey, we sponsor this, here's our logos, that that will become so jarring in the future of sponsorship that it will actually work against brands. What do you think about that? Well, I couldn't agree more. I think it sort of you know, evolved rapidly. It will become obsolete on, on that front. And you know, you, you'll see it on both sides. You'll see rights holders who are, who are smart looking sort of down the track already uh, at what's coming, and, and they're evolving their approach already. And, and, and you know, there's a number of rights holders that are already sort of ahead of the curve, I think, about changing the way they approach brands and, and, and looking at it from a very much a partnership point of view, not sponsorship. And on the flip side, you know, brands need to do the same. And 
you know, looking at my own example of when asked to solve that internal business problem, I now mean, feel as though I'm a lot more and, and in a much better position to be able to respond to that that internal brief, I guess, because of the you know the power of information, having more of it to hand. Because if I have a much better relationship with rights holders, I can get access to data I've never had before, and, and I can pass on what my internal business problem is, and they can better solve that. But if, if you're not doing that, then I do think that you'll see, you know, a lot of rights holders and and brands almost become obsolete in terms of the value of their sponsorships. It will just be, it will remain where they jog on the spot and, you know, the ship will have sailed. So, yeah, I, I, very, it sounds very deep that sort of this evolve rapidly or, or get left behind. And, and, and I'm seeing it firsthand with what we do at HSBC and the questions I'm being asked. And it's, it's an absolute, this is why I'm so excited because, you know, our, our door is now constantly being knocked on and we're being asked incessantly to, to come and help solve business problems. And, and I can now better solve those problems. Which is, which is brilliant, and that's why I'm enthusiastic. And that's only going to get better. The momentum is, is only just starting to gather now, and it's going to increase rapidly with the power of what we're seeing from a te- uh, technological point of view. Particularly, Sven, if you keep helping people solve their business problems, they're going to keep coming to you for more help. Now, you're a very forward-looking person on the sponsorship front. How do you keep up to date with the industry? What are some of the, the great sources of news and information and examples of sponsorship best practice that you go to? Yeah, looking at what I've just been talking about, I think with information overload, I tell you one we're all so guilty of it in many respects because there is so much reading to be done out there. And what I try to do is, is have this sort of this, uh, what I call sort of white time, which is sort of two hours uh, once a week of just literally dropping dropping the pan downing tools and actually just doing industry reading and just looking at you know, various sites and you know various key spots. I follow a lot of people on Twitter and uh, LinkedIn and so on, and just and just getting various opinions and trying to information gather as, as much as I can and then formulate my own opinions. And look, the best thing, and I, I talked about this earlier in the podcast, the best thing about this industry is the people that are within it. There's plenty of IP, there's, there's plenty of skilled people and, and plenty of you know, plenty of highly intelligent people. We just probably haven't been all pulling in the right direction. And so the best thing I can recommend, which is what I try to do, is, is literally go out and talk to people. You know, you, you can read it, you can view it, you can you know, download as many podcasts as you want, but you need to literally get out and, and, and meet people and talk and get different opinions from as many diverse people as you can across the industry. And ultimately, I think where I gain a lot of my sort of views from um, are from my clients and clients are our business. So I sit down with them and, and literally walk the floors and get them to tell me about what are their challenges and what do they see going on and what role do they see sponsorship having in their world and ideally it's a positive one. And that, for me, is probably one of the, the best things I've sort of managed to, to achieve over the last few years is that idea of information gathering through just, just you know face-to-face meetings and getting to uh, getting to understand what different people's views are on on, on, on us as an industry. And it's, look, sometimes it's not always positive, but you, get, you have to hear the hard news as well for us to grow. So yeah, that, that's my tip. Um, I did this this idea of locking out some time, this, this white time, which is effectively reading as much as I can. But you know, I think the best thing you can do is, is get out on your feet and go out and meet people. Some great advice there to set aside some dedicated time for research and learning and reading and networking and, and having conversations with people and and really committing to it. Sven, a really great chat, free-ranging chat, full of awesome insights. If people want to get in contact with you and keep the conversation going or learn more about HSBC's approach to sponsorship, what can they do? Yeah, look, always happy to have a chat. And as I know, no, to throw up, I'm, the door is very much open. I do generally love love talking about it as a you know, subject matter. So, you know, 
uh, in, t- in terms of subject matter, Twitter and at Glory99, do, do drop me a note. I love to reach out and, and onto LinkedIn. And then, yeah, anyone coming through uh, through London, I'd love to have a cup of tea or or a, uh, over here to normally a warm beer and a cold pie. I'm happy to have that as well. And at some stage, if I, you know, when I get back to work, yeah, I'd love to reconnect with the Australian sponsored industry as well. And yeah, so, look, as I say, uh, lines are open and, um, yeah, happy to, happy to chat with as many people as possible. So I do generally love what we're doing. I generally uh, believe in it as well. Outstanding. Sven Glor, Senior Manager, Global Rugby Strategy and Planning at HSBC. Thank you so much for spending some time with us and taking us inside your views on the sponsorship industry. Fantastic. I really appreciate it and uh, I love what you're doing with the show as well. It's, it's absolutely brilliant. Thank you. Such an awesome chat with Sven there. And assuming Sven's crystal ball is working well, there are some very exciting times and opportunities ahead for the industry. It will be challenging, but as I said, exciting. It will take leadership, innovation, hard work, and commitment from you to take advantage of that. That's a wrap for episode 67 of Inside Sponsorship. I hope you loved it. And also don't forget, if you'd like a shout out, just get in contact and I'll make that happen for you on the next show. We really would love to hear from you. Or if you're too shy, help us feel special by leaving us a review on iTunes. If you want to connect with me, you can do so on LinkedIn. Just search for Daniel Oyston or drop me an email using daniel at sponserve.net or on Twitter using the handle at sponserve. And if you want to connect with Cause Head of International Business, Mark Thompson, you can catch him on mark.thompson at coresoftware.com or just search for him on LinkedIn as well. Don't forget that you can follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for Sponserve. Until next time, I'm Daniel Oyston. Thanks for listening to Inside Sponsorship listening to the show for more episodes and to subscribe to the show search for inside sponsorship on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, or wherever it is you listen to your podcast also for more free industry specific resources including blogs ebooks white papers and our insights newsletter head to coresoftware.com finally be sure to follow core software on twitter and linkedin